What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey guys, today we're going to talk to Jean Russell. Jean Russell is a prominent San Antonian. She has been um, affiliated with education for 20 plus years. And I love her story. I love her story because it's not necessarily the linear education um, story that you might think of. Uh, and we're going to get into that today. And I, I also love her story because she's really funny. You guys, she's she cracks me up. I've I met her for a coffee um, a couple of weeks ago, and we just instantly hit it off because we have some similar we have the similar kinds of kids, our personal children, and so she just kind of gets my my mom stories, and beyond that, she gets my teacher stories. She's been a teacher herself. Uh, she's also been involved in the political uh, realm of education. She influences public policy, and today she's working on redesigning schools um, within different ISDs in San Antonio. Um, she's partnered with some of the most influential policymakers um, and thought leaders in education, and I'm just really excited to bring our conversation to you today. Do you say that about all your guests? I do, because <laughs> you are all very special guests to me. I'm actually really flattered that you're here. Oh, that's really sweet. I don't say that to all the guests, Oh, but I am saying it touching. to you. <laughs> So um, I have kind of an unconventional background, I think. I started as a teacher and um, taught for a number of years and then uh, went into education journalism. And so I think about it a little bit as like I was trying to make a difference in the classroom and then I started thinking maybe I could write about some of the issues I saw and people would want to collectively make a difference. And then after about 10 years of that, I decided I wanted to actually get into policy work. So I went to the city and I worked for both Mayor Harberger and Mayor Castro, but Mayor Castro very focused on education. And then um, after that, I helped start the 2020, SA 2020 initiative um, as a nonprofit. And then I started my own consulting practice. And that is why I'm flattered that you're here. <laughs> because it's such a unique story. You know, it's not the traditional trajectory for an educator. And right. I was just having this conversation with someone else today that I sort of felt like there was a very linear progression with an education career where you mm. become a teacher and then the natural next step is to do something in a leadership role but still on your campus. Right. Maybe curriculum, maybe some sort of support, instructional support staff. And then after that you become a school administrator and then after that, maybe you step into a district leadership role, and if you're really ambitious, you become the superintendent. And yes. I sort of, in my imagination, had this idea that there was this one linear path. track, mm -hmm. one path. And so I'm so intrigued by not following that same path <laughs> like in my imagination. And now that I work part-time, I'm sort of discovering that for myself, that I am no longer on that linear mm -hmm. track. I'm sort of bouncing around um, through different genres of educational work. So when I sat down to talk to you, I was like, oh, I've, this is so cool because it's a, it's a kind of a path that I hope I can emulate well, in some sweet. way. <laughs> Maybe not in the same exact way because I'm, I'm not a journalist or a writer. Well, you're <laughs> or any a, a of those things. Podcasting but, is journalism. Well, okay, maybe. <laughs> it is. It's actually, I think it's one of the most interesting new forms of storytelling, to be honest. Well, it's definitely new to me. Like, I've not, I've not, um, listen to a whole lot of podcasts although I will say in these recent days I'm listening to a whole lot more I love podcasts I know I know <laughs> you told me that when we first sat down to talk and I thought oh see she knows what she's doing we should have her podcast because no. I I don't really, I don't know how to make a podcast I like to you're listen doing to it podcasts. right now <laughs> so I I am so glad you're here and well, I'm so I think your your perspective is really valuable. I think you've seen it from a lot of different angles, what education is and what it can be. Um, 
and what we hope it is in some in some regards because you're also a parent yes two very difficult children two oh, very challenging children <laughs> <laughs> opportunities everywhere yes. like the beautiful mess analogy right. is never more relevant yes. <laughs> except when it's your kids right, right my right. i have three of my own and they are three beautiful messes yes. and each one of them is different right but they're all beautiful messes. No, they're wonderful. And it's interesting. Um, so I taught middle school and high school, and that's the ages my kids are now. And so that is my favorite age um, to teach. Yeah. But it's also, there's a different quality when you can never escape them. Like when you're with them 24-7, <laughs> it's totally different than going home to your own quiet. Um, yes. Yeah. It's adorable when it's someone else. Right. And then you can come home and, and have a back. story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you'll never guess what this kid yeah. did today. When it's your kid, right. you're like, why? Uh-huh. So what do you think you've learned in your in all your roles, like journalism, and you said, you know, local government or public policy, um, and then just your time in your classroom? I, I'm curious about what you think um, in terms of redesign, which is probably something that's a pretty hot topic right now is yeah. school redesign. Um, so what, do you, what are your thoughts? What do you think? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about school redesign, but some of them are, are very probably, again, different than... Um, kind of some of the big debates in education. So I feel like um, maybe if we took a bigger lens and we looked at, even compared to ourselves internationally, um, sort of the issue around, like at its core, I think redesign is building around great leaders and great teachers. And in our country, I think we've gotten really far away from really valuing um, educators and teachers and looking for the very best and trying to really believe in them as people and invest in them. So you could you can talk a lot about teaching as a profession and totally. the lack of prestige, right? Yes, I cannot agree more completely. Like it's something we talk about a lot um, in my conversations with my teacher friends and my teacher colleagues and the people that I am in constant communication with. Um, somebody told me the other day that uh, there's a statistic right now at least in San Antonio, that the declared majors for education are somewhere around 4%. Yeah. Like 4% of the people that want to go to college want to be an educator. Right. And it's typically not attracting like the best and brightest either. And I think in our country, we, um, you know, there's the whole issue of teacher salaries. And is there a like a pathway? Do you get paid better if you do a great job? There's those things. But there's also just this sense of, um, do we value the profession? Do we, you know, do we want our best and brightest? And what? How do we treat our teachers? And, and of all the jobs I've ever done, and I feel like I've done some that are hard. Um, <laughs> teaching is really it is the hardest, and it's probably the least appreciated. Like I felt like it was the most thankless in terms of people thinking I was like an exceptional human being. Right? People right. will love on you for all kinds of things, but as a teacher, and and then I think this idea that people who go into certain professions, it's not just teaching. It might be some other helping professions that somehow they um, opted to take a vow of poverty or right. they, uh, you know, they're getting some kind of satisfaction because they're like doing good and therefore they don't deserve other kinds of appreciation, whether it's right. monetary or prestige, et cetera, or even like decision making authority in their own lives, you know. Mm -hmm. So we don't give um, educators much say in the system. So I think, I mean, that's kind of one of the key elements of, of redesign to me is like hire the very best leaders and then let them hire the very best teachers and then ask them what they need to be effective. You know, that, that to me is at its core. And then the other piece that you and I talked about the other day is um, listening to the students, you know. So right. um, we don't ask the kids and the kids are going to tell you. And um, they are, you know, a lot of our industry partners, because our CAS schools that I work with um, have industry partnerships. So Toyota is like one of the ones who's always saying, what is the voice of the customer? Well, who's the customer in schools? It's the students. Totally. And they can tell you. They can tell you who the great teachers are. They can tell you what, you know, whether certain experiments are working, all of those things. But we so rarely ask for that feedback. And, and we certainly don't ever ask them to help design their own school experiences or, right. you know, and we're doing so many things the way we've always done them, whether it's food or athletics or PE or all of those things. So it's not just what is their educational experience, but also like they're spending the majority of their time in school. Like let's they really give are. them some input. I mean, they go yeah. home and you yeah. have a few hours before 
it's time to get some sleep and mm-hmm. then you do the whole thing again. Yeah. And I mean, your kids are probably like mine. Mine go to school early to do mariachi yes. uh-huh. and then they stay late for after school clubs, etc. Um, my daughter, when she was running cross country, I was dropping her off before six. Yep. And then um, she wasn't getting home some days till six. That's a 12 yep. hour day. Exactly. So no, yeah, they're, they're there all the time. Yeah. So um, Elijah, who's mariachi, he's there at 630 because he's also swimming. Mm-hmm. So the swim team, he's got to be there at 630 in the morning right. and he stays after school until about 515, 530 right. for mariachi. Yep. He basically works more than I do right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we should be thoughtful about the culture that we're creating in those buildings because they are literally there that's right more frequently than some of my weeks at work and they have some really good ideas you know they really do but there's a lot of fear about I don't know if and particularly I think with teenagers asking them to weigh in and offer their opinions teenagers are pretty snarky (laughs) So, but that doesn't mean they're not right sometimes. No, I know. It stings a little, but it's, there's an element of truth to it, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think that's another really interesting piece. And I, I, so as part of our CAS school, so I work with the Centers for Applied Science and Technology. I didn't get to do this trip, but some of our leaders went to Canada. And that's a country that's really looking hard at how do you um, incorporate student voice and student agency. So I think that's a really interesting piece. The other piece, like when I um, worked on the pre-K for SA initiative, our what we were tasked to do was to figure out where is the place in the life of a child, not necessarily in schools, but could be, that we can invest where we'll have the biggest educational impact. And so we really looked at three areas. We looked at early ed, we looked at like the transition from middle to high school, because we know we lose yeah. a lot of people there, and we looked at college. And um, the we did like, we pulled together the research, so we did kind of like a meta-analysis. and. Um, all the research converges on like the three things that are the most important in education are rigor, relevance, and relationships. Right. And yet that is not and what not we emphasize. not in that order. But, no. No. Right. right. But, in fact, yeah. to me, relevance is the most interesting yes. and uh, misunderstood uh, one. That, that's true for everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> People are going to turn us off right now if we're not, if what we're saying isn't relevant right. to them. Right, if they can't find a place to connect. So to me, I mean, that's, I think, for the schools that I'm working on, that's the piece that I feel like we're doing the most that's interesting with is this piece around relevance and how do you really make education relevant. But I also think it's the piece that um, pe- people find the most confusing. So they just kind of like, they're like, okay, we can do rigor because rigor just means like, let's make it harder. You know, yeah. that's, I mean, that's at least something people can get their heads around. And I think there's a growing um, understanding of the relationships piece that it's important maybe not how to do it but that relationships matter mm-hmm. but I think people really struggle with this idea of relevance for kids and and it also ties back to the asking them you know for their opinion because right. <laughs> they could help us figure that out yeah. like what would be relevant to you so like I know you mentioned you're working with CAST. Yes. And say it again. What, what Centers CAST- for Applied Science and Technology. And so how did CAST come into being? So CAST got started, um, it was really an idea from Charles Butt um, many years ago, and he um, had, in his travels, seen across the country, maybe across the world, I'm not sure, um, schools that were really much more career in nature. And I think he also knew as chairman of HEB that uh, a lot of the folks that go in and become high-level people in that company or store managers, they don't necessarily have to have a college education, but they need to have a really robust understanding of applied math in particular, like because they're working with right. budgets and things like yeah. that. And so he came to feel as though the way we were teaching people in our society, even in college, was very abstract. It wasn't applied. Yeah. And so he really wanted to push this idea of how do you um, really incorporate real world into education and right. starting with K-12. So he he s- sort of um, deployed Kate Rogers, who was then an executive at HEB, to kind of figure this out. And she um, brought together a group who originally, um, the original kind of aha was in San Antonio, our industry partners were, only, were not as involved in schooling as they could be. Right. So what they first rolled out was SA Works, and I worked on that as well. And that was an initiative to, to sort of ask 
industry to step up in terms of internships, job shadowing, all these different kinds of ways to really connect education and work and work Mm -hmm. so kids could have real world experiences and they could kind of make decisions earlier and um kate has two sayings that i like one is it's the long interview right because the sooner you start having those you know for both people for the company and the student and um so i think that was a big piece of essay works is the idea of the long interview and the other piece was the process of deselection is as important as the process of selection and a mm-hmm. lot of times the first experience somebody chooses I'm going to study this this is my major whatever and they get like super far along and then all of a sudden they realize you know what I don't really like whatever it is right. we have a superintendent locally um, East Central Rolando Toscano who always says like my my daughter or son I can't remember is going to um, graduate school in dentistry and he still hasn't touched any teeth you know and it's like what if you what if you decide like I really don't like that yeah there goes six years of your life and you know our education system is set up to be very abstract very book learning and when are we going to have those see touch feel experiences where we go oh yeah this really speaks mm-hmm. to me or you know what I mean, the classic example is somebody who's afraid of blood, but that's kind of an extreme example, sure. right? But yeah. there, are, but but you do need to like you got to figure that out. Yeah, and sometimes you, you don't know what you don't know. Right, you, you actually have to go and do it, and then and then decide like, oh my god, I really hated that, or yeah. I'm in love with this. Right, this is amazing. And I think so many of us. I know I'm one of these people, and I bet more than fifty percent of the pop. You just don't know until you try it. You exactly. know, something can look so good on paper, but it's so hard to imagine yourself doing the thing until you actually do it. So, yeah. giving kids an opportunity to do that. So, I got I got sidetracked. So that was Essay Works, and so out of Essay Works, we then said, okay, now that industry is really participating at a higher level, let's look at this idea of career themed schools. And so we had a committee that. Um, spent a little over a year going around the country and a few folks um, also traveled internationally looking at things like the apprentice model in um, Germany and Switzerland Mm -hmm. and what can we do um, locally that would kind of be that career themed education and so initially we had thought we were going to build a school but when we really studied the geography of San Antonio we realized we needed to do things sort of strategically located around sure. our city so now we're, we're working on a network and I think we're going to have well for sure we'll have five schools and we're looking at probably more like 10 at least that's awesome yeah. and where, where how many exist like today so today we have Cast Tech which is in its second year um, so it has uh, freshmen and sophomores and then we have Cast STEM which is in its first year and it has uh, freshmen so each one of them is okay. adding a grade a year and then we're opening Cast Med um this coming school year. This coming school year. We have another school that is probably going to join our network. So that's an interesting okay. twist. Um, so as we kind of establish ourselves as a network, other schools are potentially looking to participate because there's sort of a, a nice um, collaboration. We're doing a lot of professional development mm-hmm. um, to participate in the network. So maybe that a couple of schools that feel like they have a lot in common with our network will end up trying to join, and that would be really interesting. So... so the idea was formulated. Mm-hmm. You did the research. Yes. And then how did you pitch the Who did you pitch the idea to? Like, did you go to the ISD and say, hey, here's an idea we have. Here's how we think we can fit into. Yeah, that's a great ha- question. You know, we actually had um, a couple superintendents sat on our committee. And it wasn't actually SISD, but um, it was right around the time that Pedro Martinez came to town. And he, I, I can't remember if we... I think we presented the topic to the superintendents, Uh but he was sort of the first one to like raise his hand and say, I'm in. Yeah. 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 And, you know, of course he was rolling out this kind of portfolio, Uh you know, schools of choice. And so it was a nice fit for him. So it was good timing. mm -hmm, It was excellent timing for him. And in addition, he said, you know, so we were, we were partnering at that time. Um, We knew we wanted to do a tech high school. It was going to be one of our first areas of focus. And so we had started to talk to tech block And so they were like very insistent that it needed to be in the tech district. Mm -hmm. And so then Pedro said, hey, I've got two buildings right here. So so it all sort of fell into place really nicely. Yeah. So it's so interesting too. Okay, first, I have so many thoughts in my head. I'm sorry, I get so, like I told you earlier, I get a little distracted (laughs) and I get excited about talking about all this 
so we had a plan <laughs> and I'm gonna go off script just for a second oh, sure. because I'm I'm just so curious about you know after that you formulated your idea and then you decided that you know SEISD was a good partner mm-hmm. San Antonio ISD was mm-hmm. a good partner because geographically they're in the tech district right. right right and then how do you how do you go about communicating that to to the community mm-hmm. where a school because what happened essentially is you moved into a school that was already in existence yes. so you share a building right and that is such a unique design yeah um i i i affectionately call that little conglomeration of schools the holy trinity <laughs> <laughs> because there are actually three schools right. located in in on the same campus not right. necessarily like in the same buildings Correct. but on the same campus yep. and it's court it, it, it's working really nicely yeah, I mean, it's a really complementary kind of situation, actually, because they all have very complementary focus. And I think the principals are, are actually starting to think really strategically, too, about, like, how do they co-enroll in dual credit? And, you know, so that's exciting, actually. There's but, a little bit of shared programming. Yes. In fact, our school cast, so getting back to your question, so there I don't. I didn't feel like we had a lot of like selling to do simply because the Advanced Learning Academy was rolling out around the same time. So there wasn't a sense necessarily of like we were coming into somebody else's space. And the other thing was those buildings that we took over. They had basically been mothballed for like fifty years. So they were. It's actually kind one of, of the oldest schools yeah. in downtown San right. Antonio. Right. I mean, my um, my husband's father. He did like vocational training. So we took over the old vocational education. So we thought it was like a really beautiful story actually of like old tech becoming new tech. Yes. Yes. It it has such a great, great um, cultural connection to San Antonio. Like the school, the entity itself, right? Not necessarily the school building, but just the alumni of Fox Tech Mm -hmm. are just so invested in the Fox Tech community that it's kind of fun to watch it rebirth it's really cool and I mean I have to say like I I mean I'm obviously biased but our buildings are the only ones that really are historic anymore and we preserved some of that we tried to kind of keep that architectural feel well have you been inside Casta I have okay pretty impressive (laughs) (laughs) so trying to make it on the one hand feel like sort of a techie google demi kind of you know open space you can see all the way the technology works the right so the first time that I walked into to Casta I was like is this building ever going to be finished (laughs) no that was my own (laughs) I had no idea and then when I asked they were like no this is by design this is so that you can see how all of this technology the infrastructure of the technology works and I thought oh well I'm a big dork Well, so we, you know, we also try to keep some elements of like the preserve some of the old and so the old entrance you know just to respect that history and so I I just feel like, I hope the alumni feel like it's really kind of an homage to, you know, Fox Tech. And it's Mm -hmm. the only one that really has Fox Tech in its name, kind of in a different way, too. So we thought it was like a beautiful marriage. And and then to your earlier point, like, there is now shared programming. So um, it's, it's rolling out, it's becoming more um, intentional over the course of the years. But you know, that it allows our students to take like um, fine arts electives through right. Advanced Learning Academy, uh, Fox Tech, Cast Tech, and ALA are all working together on dual credit with UTSA, and we really brought UTSA to the table through Cast Tech. So there's just a really nice kind of partnership evolving, which I think is is exciting. I think the only other campus in San Antonio that has anything like it is uh, Lee High School in yeah. Northeast, you know, where they're kind of working collaboratively yeah Yeah, it's definitely not the norm Mm -mm. you know when you start school you think you're starting it and it's completely independent but these are really kind of um rubbing off on each other Mm -hmm. and you know just a good natural partnership right they're very complimentary like you said yeah i mean it's going to be interesting because cast med which is our next school that's opening is actually a standalone school and so that's going to each of our schools is just a little bit different and so I think there's some really great things about being a standalone school, but that school won't have that same opportunity like to piggyback on right. fine arts and things like that. So we'll have to be creative how we make sure that kids at that school can have at least some exposure to the fine arts. We're going to do it. We're going to yes. make it work. Yes. And they're going to have some athletics too, but it, it probably each school is going to have to kind of figure that out depending on their location. Yeah. 
That's really cool. And it's exciting. I mean, I, I love the idea of having lots of um, opportunities to present to our students. And, and that's really the, I know choice is the word that's most commonly used. And, and certainly it is a choice, but I also think it's just an opportunity. Right. And the more opportunities people have, um, the more selective they can be. And, and the harder everybody works, right? The harder everyone works because you're more, it's more relevant. Yes. You chose to be here because it, something struck a chord with you. Right. And so it, you, you fit in a little bit differently than right. you would if you were told this is where you have to go. That's right. And I mean, I think there is this idea of fit for young people that's becoming more and more important. So if you go to Cast Tech, you're going to see kids who, um, really have an affinity for tech, you know, yes. who like they really have been hacking their parents' phone for many years. Yes. And that's just they a different sort of kid. Just go and find their yeah. tribe. You and yeah. I talked about that yeah. too the other day that, yeah. you know, you kind of, you, you sort of can tell them apart in the crowd. You're right. like, oh, right. I know exactly where you fit. Yeah. This is, this makes sense. It, it makes sense. It does. For them. And I mean, I think CASMED is going to be really interesting. So it's just starting to recruit now. And, you know, when you think about it, there are no, like, really intentional programs on the south side of our city at all that are really trying to help kids go to med school, right? That's interesting. We have some health careers programs in our city. We've got Mm -hmm. nursing and things like that, but we are not doing nursing. Nursing is at every other SISD high school. But we are are working really closely with um, folks at the Health Science Center who are doctors who said... Like one one of our um, lead people went to Jefferson High School and he's mm-hmm. now over, he's the head of urology at UT Health. And he said, you know, for me to get from where I was in Jefferson to here, I had to get through all these barriers. So I would like to design like a, a staircase for somebody like me who's growing up um, it's not that they don't have the educational wherewithal, right. but it's what are the necessary supports because that is a long journey. Yes. So... I think this can be really interesting because hopefully we're going to be pulling kids. That location at Brooks is mm-hmm. kind of, it's near Edgewood, it's near South Sand, it's near Southwest, East Central. You know, there's a whole cluster of schools. And it's nothing against any of those school districts, but if there's a child who really wants to be a doctor, that's a really interesting opportunity for them. So, yeah. so I'm going yeah. to be really excited to see who, who we get at that school. Yes. <laughs> I'm really excited to see how you can recreate the success you've already experienced at Cass Tech um, in the medical industry and on a different side of town. And like you said, in a standalone location Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. not kind of part of a school within a school. Right. Um, And then I'm curious, too, about I know we talked a little bit about the apply, like the real world connection, Mm -hmm. that word applied. Like it's one thing in theory, but how do you apply it in your everyday career choices, in your everyday work life, you know? Yes. Um, and, And then also just having student voice Mm-hmm. What do you want to experience? What do you want to do on your day-to-day basis? Right. So how do you how do you guys how are you intentional about that in when you're thinking through um, how school's going to run every single day? Yeah, it's it's really a, a kind of an ongoing conversation in our network and each of our principals is doing it a little bit differently. We um, before we even opened our schools, we did student focus groups and parents, but we had them separately. But we asked students a lot about like what they wanted their learning experience to be like. It was sort of funny because we were like really interested in what they wanted to say about teaching and learning. And they also really wanted to talk about the building environment really? <laughs> and the physical environment uh-huh. and the lunches and things like sure. that we weren't as focused on. But we took all that feedback and it really informed our school design. But um, and. Our principals are holding true to that in that they're continuing to do focus groups with their own students throughout the course of the year, which I think is unique. So what do those look like? Like they just, during the school day, they pull uh-huh. a select? Yeah, so for example, last year at Cass Tech, they brought in some um, they brought in some graduate students, I can't remember from which university, and they um, had a protocol. And so what they had done in kind of their professional learning community was they had um, been trying to compare where they were at Cast Tech with sort of the vision of the school. So they came mm-hmm. with a storyboard of like, this is the ideal Cast Tech. This is what it should look like. And then they pulled in students and they asked them, 
are we achieving this vision? Where are we falling short? What would you like to change about your experience? And they asked them all questions like that, and they got really, really robust feedback. And then they reported it all back to the students, mm-hmm. as well as an action plan of how they were gonna like try to get closer to what the students thought would be. So how, what's the enrollment right now at Castech? Do you know off the top of your Yeah, head? I actually do, because we just had this conversation. It's, um, so it's, it, we can take up to 150 students per year, and we have 140 sophomores and 120 freshmen. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty close to 300 kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what, like, how many of those students were in those focus groups? I mean, did the, and like the feedback that they got back, did everybody kind of say like, oh yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking. Yeah. Too. Quite. I can't remember the number of students that went through, but it was quite a few because they pulled them in in little groups. I don't think it, it wasn't like half the students or anything like that. And this yeah. was last year when we only yeah, had yeah. about 140 oh, okay. kids. So I'm thinking maybe it was like. 60 kids or something like that, but it was a decent number. And, um, but the whole community got the report back and the feedback. So, but we're also doing like, we're doing student climate surveys, we're doing student engagement surveys. Um, Both of our principals have student advisories that are are real. They're not, um, like sometimes when you do student advisories, you'll see a real kind of like, um, a lot of control over what can be talked about at those, but they're not, they're very open. So, and I think, you know, one of the virtue of small schools is there, if you go to our schools, you're going to see all the kids know the principal really well. Right. And yeah. I don't think there's a lot of intimidation around, you know, providing feedback. So it's sure. just, and, you know, we also did these events. Uh, so I work for the network and um, we did these events last year called Chips, Dips and Mentorship, which. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> where they invited um since we have a, a mentoring model there, a lot of adults came into it. So anyway, they did this sort of speed networking. So I participated because I wanted to just kind of do, like see what the students had to say. Yeah. So instead of following like the questions I was supposed to go, I just asked them like, how do you like the school? <laughs> and, and it was really fascinating. I mean, it was... Do you remember anything in particular that anyone said to you? Oh yeah, because it was so interesting because... Um, one of the things that really struck me about the cast kids, so my kids go to the Advanced Learning Academy, which is also on the same campus, and I think what drew them to that school was this idea of, like, we get to accelerate and, you know, blah, yes. blah, blah. We're going to go uh-huh. to multi-education. And I don't mean to make fun of my kids, but, like, <laughs> they have a very exalted sense of their own, like, you know, like, I'm oh a superstar, you know, like. <laughs> we totally talked about that, too, the yeah. other day. Yeah. You know, my son got the letter inviting him right. to, to come, and yours did, too, yeah. right? They got a letter. I don't think they realized that the letter probably went to quite a few right kids in the district. Right, my, uh, my our kids, my kid, and I think you, you yeah <laughs> said you had a similar experience. But he was just like, I have to go. Right, I've been invited. They want me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. They need me to right. start the school. Right. Yes. And I, I mean, I think, you know, I don't, I don't mean to suggest that my children are um, totally full of themselves, but I do think a school <laughs> that you call the Advanced Learning Academy is going to attract a certain type of kid, right, who sees themselves as a scholar or something like that. So um, CAST, I think, um, we really pitched it hard as a career opportunity. And so to a child that I talked to when I was talking to them over there, I was really struck by they were sort of really gritty kids they were kids who were like this school opened and I really want to make sure that I can take care of myself or I have a foothold into a middle-class job and so I I could see how I could do this with this so while they were very interested in tech not all of them was um, the more common element was this idea of this helps me see my path and I know that I'm in charge of my path and I thought that was just really fascinating because I've never done that kind of interview with ALA kids and maybe they would be the same. But it struck me as we were attracting a very aspirational kind of kid, but not necessarily a kid who was leading with like, I'm an AB student, right. but with a, I have a very clear idea of what but I want very wanna, pragmatic. Yes, extremely very pragmatic. pragmatic person yes. would be like, this is the exact thing I need to do to right. set myself up right. for entering the workforce. Yes. You know? Yes. In some, in some way. And, or entering an industry. Right. That I'm curious about. And it's, it's funny because I'm at the school a lot and I'll go with different partners and whatever. And they, these kids are funny because they, um, 
they're like they've already learned to ask everybody for their business card you know like you just don't <laughs> see awesome. that in other schools like people start walking through and they're like hitting everybody up for their business cards so I just I think it's attracted a kid who has this just very kind of um, sense of I want to be upwardly mobile and um, and that's what we want in our city mm-hmm. right because we know that our city um, is highly segregated from an income perspective. It's very income unequal. And your zip code is very predictive in this yes. city of your mobility. So if we can break some of that up and give people much more clear sense of like, if I do these things, there is this a job is I will that will, right, right, right. I just think that's really exciting. Yeah. So Yeah, and I think it, it, it speaks to the fit too. You right. know, because there are like, my son also goes to Advanced Learning Academy and he is less pragmatic right. and more, <laughs> I would say, big picture right right you know maybe a little bit more creative in a way uh, that doesn't exactly fit that same and I don't know that that was part necessarily of the school design but that's sort of what evolved yeah from this school you start to notice a pattern of like oh okay well this fits this general um, personality trait or this general idea that some students have about what they want to do from here on out Right. No, I think that's true. And I think the Advanced Learning Academy, I mean, I love the Advanced Learning Academy, and I think it's a great school. And I think it does. I mean, there are kids who really just love learning and who are good abstract thinkers. And, and it's doing a lot of project-based applied learning, too, so I don't sure. mean to suggest it isn't. But um, but my kids are also into the fine arts. And so the, yeah. a kid who's still sort of looking for like a classic liberal arts education, right. that is a perfect school yes, for that kid. I agree. Right. Yes. So I, I'm excited that there are these different options. And as the schools grow together, I think it's even more exciting for kids who like, maybe they're at ALA, but they're like, I want to do just a little bit. I want to learn to code. I don't want to do any of that other cast tech stuff, but I want to leave high school knowing how to code. Or, I have this great option. Right. Yeah. Or a cast tech kid who's like, you know, I, I'm totally all on board with this school, but I really love theater. And can yes. I take a few theater classes? Exactly. I mean, so now you have this ability yeah. to kind of even adapt. And you have Fox Tech High right. School. Right. So, mixed in there too. Right. And Fox Tech is a health and law magnet. Right. So then you can kind of hone in a little bit more right. on a, a little more niche, right? Like yes. what I say, like really, I, I'm really interested in. And being downtown is just on its own. Well, that's, that's we haven't even talked about that, but that is so badass in so it many really ways. Is. It really is. It really is. I mean, you're in the middle of the downtown medical center, so you've got just access yes. to hospitals. Yes. And you're so close to the courthouse, so then you've got this great partnership with all of our law mm-hmm. practitioners. Um, and then you have, you're in the de- the tech district. Right. So, I mean, it's like the it it's is the like best perfect storm. It is. That's why well, I call it the Holy Trinity. It's like the best thing of all world. Well, I, and where I thought you were going to go, so I have this fantasy of the kids like taking back the downtown too. So like, yeah. I want my kids to be like wandering to the coffee Absolutely. shop, and like eventually they're just yes. gonna, like I want the, the downtown to be rejuvenated by young people, and so like having this kind of really interesting high school campus, and now this investment right. from UTSA that's sort of connected. So they're putting their you know, data science right. and their business, which is perfect right for casting. They all go yeah. on walking field trips. That's right. So, you know, they know downtown well. Yes. They know how to get from point A to point B. The cross-country team, they run through downtown. I know. My daughter's on it. Yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're so lucky, it's Jonathan, really cool. that you get to just go. Yeah. You know, you go outside and you're down on the river. That's and right. And you're, you're cutting through all the business district. And right. that's just a really cool thing. Right. I mean, they can go after school and hang out at the public library and use their music room. They can walk right. over to Southwest School of Art. There are so many interesting partners, like, for internships. So we obviously, we want to do the tech ones. But what if, like, ArtPace needs somebody to help them with their social media? That's a great fit for yes. us, you know. So, yeah, I think it's... And I do think that they just intrinsically develop a, an urban mindset yes yes it's not anything that has to be overstated i mean it's just it's you are in the urban core of the city so right you everything that you're seeing has to do with urban living and urban revitalization yeah so it just becomes second nature to them so right. in our conversations at home i am always like oh my god i love you so much right now <laughs> well and they have they're not fearful which is no. really great and yeah, they have a different kind of global citizenship because I think the other neat thing about these schools that we haven't talked about is the district is, and, and this is true throughout our CAS school. So we have a partnership with other districts as well. So SSD is doing a really great job of this, but so are our other districts, but of 
um, managing so that these schools maintain their diversity. So one of the other things that I think is really interesting is giving kids a bigger sense of what is normal and exposing them to all types of kids. So whether that's economically or that's a variety of ethnic groups or even people from just different types of backgrounds Mm -hmm. uh, or different geographies, you know, I think that's so healthy. And it can happen in a neighborhood school, but it's less likely to happen. You know, when you're pulling kids from all different places, you get exposed to like, now you've got the you know the kid in the beaten up pickup or who doesn't right. even have transportation next to the kid in the Tesla and that just exactly. it's like oh well these are two different like ways of living in this world you know yeah completely and equal equally valid just different you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I love that so all of those things that we touched on are so important when when we're talking about redesigning the school right you're talking about being thoughtful of location and being mindful of the student demographics and being mindful of how to create relevancy and um, you talked a little bit about relationships and there's one thing in particular that I I think is really cool about Cast Tech is that they have a full-time mentor coordinator that is designed by design Mm -hmm. working on helping students develop relationship building skills like you said they're used to asking people for business cards I mean how did that come into being yeah well it's interesting you know so i mean we haven't talked that much about like the design piece so i think um something you and i talked about when we met is this idea of building schools that are cognizant of the reality that our kids are living in right so i i do think of this metaphor of a staircase so how are we staircasing kids into college and careers in a way that's very intentional that we're building that support because i think um historically our systems are not connected and so we you know we say to the k-12 system you should do a better job of like preparing kids for college and we say to the college system like what's wrong why are you know why but we aren't like building those connections and so we're very intentionally embedding all that in our schools and so but the other piece is the career piece and that's partly the relevance but that's partly the relationship with the Mm -hmm. employers so from early on we said the employers are going to be at the table helping design these schools and so they you know that's everything from the projects the students work on come from our industry partners so like they have real world application because they're they're designing example they will take somebody's um suggestion like if you if i had an, a nonprofit and i said hey i need a graphic design yes yes you're we've had students that, right? who've done that yeah and and so and and also on our curriculums like so for example when we started out we had three pathways it was computer science um or nit kind of blended and then it was um web design was the second and then the third or i'm sorry it was digital media and then the third was business and finance and so um our USA people came in and they did this whole thing on UI UX. And so we're the only um, school in the state, I believe, that has a UI UX user experience pathway because that's what our industry partners are saying they need people to know how to do. So, And they've been in there doing workshops with the kids, helping them design, giving them real USA problems to solve. Mm-hmm. So you see things like that. You see like Whataburger, who's a partner, has been wanting to get like youth input on like their cyberbullying campaign. So working with our youth, you know, so yeah. it it's, takes all kinds of forms. But our goal was to build, to back to the business card point, that was right. to build adult supportive relationships and relationships with companies in a way that we all know as adults that we need. So yeah, if I'm, and that was what impressed me in our conversations. Conversation when we talked last week, I was like, adult supportive, really, what does that mean? Adult supportive, <laughs> because I haven't heard it termed out that way. Uh-huh. So when you said it the other day I was like okay give me an example of an adult supportive relationship what does that look like well it's funny so like we have all these mentoring programs right in our city and they're great and I've done them and I love them but like you think about as an adult like all of us can say who are the people in our network that we call on for mentoring support or who have helped us at our work but but how did you build that right Right. you you built it sort of organically like nobody came and said or you didn't raise your hand and say I'm going to mentor you or ask somebody but can, can we actually build that into students experiences so getting all these adult professionals into the school and then really trying to measure um like through surveying the kids do you who who are the people you can turn to besides your family for help with your career or you know what sort of um context you have and so and then bringing in this mentoring coordinator who's really more like a business liaison to have him help the young people figure out how do they engage with the adults in a way that you know the adults are going to be comfortable around them so he's doing a lot of like culture work with them 
and then um, and then making sure nobody falls through the cracks. So that's that's kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to, in all ways, um, create an environment where we have young people as captives because we basically yeah, do, we do. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> and that we sort of teach them these these life skills that are actually. I mean, I think having somebody who's going to like help you network to a job is probably way more important than like what grades you've got in school, right? Yeah. Um, but we don't do that in schooling right now. So how do we do that? So that's that's kind of the idea. And um, we're starting to get some, you know, surveying back from the students. And I think we still need to do more to deepen those relationships. But we are hearing that the number one thing that they like about the school is that piece of they feel like they is have their connection to mm-hmm. other yeah. adults like the, yes. industry yes that we have yeah. all these adults that are coming in and they're really invested you know and they care about us and they're helping us connect to these real opportunities and we have had kids even though we you know we're only with sophomores now but we have so we're we're mostly trying to structure it so they'll have internships and job opportunities like junior senior right but some some of the high flyers are already out you know working in they had summer jobs and things like that which is pretty awesome <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah that's really cool so yeah so more to come hopefully on that yeah definitely <laughs> definitely well that that uh, yeah when you said it when you when we were talking about it and we were talking about how important relationships are and how um important it is to practice networking mm-hmm. it really struck a chord with me because I feel like that's where I am at in my own personal yeah. and professional life is I realized I've been a little lax on my networking skills because I don't necessarily I haven't necessarily had to network because when you are on a campus and you're invested in your campus work the people that you generally talk to are the people that you are doing the work with right and you don't in a campus setting you don't necessarily spend a lot of time out in other industry networking Um, I realized though when I when I arrived at a campus that had some big needs and big challenges that it was the networking skills that helped me close the gap right right right. and without those networking skills and it's it really and since I've left the school I've realized man you really do have to know who to call on yes and when to call right um, to get stuff accomplished so if, yes. that, if it's a skill that we neglect, then when you're done working with the people in your everyday life, you you're it's going to be a hard challenge. That's right. And to, I yeah, and I to just kind of like break the ice. And I, I think there are these things in our society that we don't make transparent for young people. Like like we right. don't tell them like these are the keys to so the kingdom explicit. exactly and like i mean it's one of the reasons i love lorenzo's book so i don't know if you <laughs> I, I don't know if you knew this but last year we bought um cilantro diaries for all the kids at cast oh, wow, and cool. and he came in and and signed books and gave a talk but this idea of a personal board of directors that he has in his book it's so great for young people the idea of like literally asking somebody to be on your personal like yes. even like, to, the, to i've never done anything like that in my <laughs> life but it's it's a really you can wrap your brain around it as a young person and it makes so much sense and so I think you know we've done things like that to just really get them focused on the idea of you know these adults are here to help you ask them for help build that really and you know maybe you go you have a relationship with somebody who's mentoring you now and then you go off to college but you still have their business card in five years from now you can get back in touch and say so you have different relationships for different kinds of things Mm -hmm. too and then the other piece I think in San Antonio that you and I talked about is we have so many kids who maybe don't have person in their immediate family who went through college um so having somebody who can just help them with that navigational piece right that's super important so. it's very important i mean i i you know i've encountered lots of students in my in my years um being an educator and their stories vary sometimes they have somebody who is very closely related to them who has gone to college and sometimes that that college story looks like it was completely successful and everybody has all their dreams have come to fruition. Right. And then you have some students who have know someone who went to college but never finished. And it was a disaster and or they're a, carrying or, debt or yes, something like they that. Have yes. Tremendous debt yes. because it never finished and and they never finished their degree and so they are still working um, and they're still trying to pay off student right. debt for something that was never finished yeah. because life got in the way. And whatever which, it was. Which what, is a really common tragedy in San Antonio. Is. Yeah. And then you have some students who have no idea 
why they should go to college because they they their families are doing fairly well they're small business owners right. or um you know they're they've found a way to make income what they need it to be right yeah and so they don't have they don't have necessarily the ambition to go to college um because they they their families have done what what they've wanted to do and, and been su- successful um then you have some students who are they they kind of want to go to college, but they don't have anyone who's done it before them. Right, it's a totally and like hard, opaque it's for them. Very, very. They they're not really sure how they can go about it. Right. And then the, and then it's sometimes a tough sell to your family if no one's gone before. Right. It's sort of it's a huge expense. It and is, and even, it's getting worse. It's getting worse, and to even think that you might spend twenty to thirty thousand dollars a semester on. Right, something you don't really know how it's going to end up. Yes, it's just like it's it's unfathomable for some families. So yes. I do think like it's so important that you have those con- those other adults who who have the stories that can say, well, here's exactly what it what might happen, and let me help you figure out. Well, and they can advise you on very practical things too, like so. What's the difference between a grant and a loan? You know, because people can get into a lot totally. of trouble with loans. And one of the other things we're trying to do with these schools is pack as much college credit as we possibly can into the school to minute to bring down the cost. And so like we talk about our mission being maximizing options for young people. So like if a person learns, hey, say they learn how to code and they learn something, some basic business skills, right? It might be perfectly sensible for them to go over to Geekdom and start a, you know, exactly. like that's fine. Right. And so it, it's not that we're trying to push everyone to go to college because in some cases, one of the most successful people in my extended family is my husband's uncle who has a plumbing certificate. I don't believe he has any other higher education, but he owns his own business, very successful. So, you know, there's nothing to say that you need to go to right. on a particular route, but like Lorenzo and the folks who are over at Geekdom will tell you, the most common reason those companies fail is because they lack like rudimentary understanding of finance, right? Yeah. So they said, if you do anything, make sure that the people who are learning computer science learn a little bit of business too. So if they start their own business, they can be successful. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just about thinking, how do we listen to our industry partners and how do we give students, while we have them, the maximum number of things that are equip them for when they leave, assuming that they go nowhere, you know? Yeah, that they stay right here. Right, Yeah, right. I mean, that when they leave high school, they're going to have a marketable skill. They're going to have some college credits for whenever they want to go immediately or later. They're going to have um, some good job opportunities. Like if they have all those things, you know, mm-hmm. that's like, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's really awesome. <laughs> so you, it seems like you've had um, a lot of time, first of all, to think through some big issues in education, right? And you've had some conversations. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't call you old. <laughs> um, you, but it seems like you've had some time to think about it. And you've had like these really great conversations with community partners, industry partners, parents, students um you've had your own educational experience with your children and uh, and made some choices right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so i'm just curious too about how do you like there's some big educational jargon that some people if you're not in the education industry there's a as lot of education jargon i are yes. there's so much educational jargon yes that i think sometimes it it's Off-putting. Yeah, Yeah, it's (laughs) off-putting. And it's a worthy thing to just slow down and say, okay, here's what we mean when we say. Yes. Um, And so we've talked a lot about student voice and student agency. Um, We talked about redesign. And I think those are like industry buzzwords for Mm -hmm, us. mm -hmm. So maybe we take just a quick second to sort of break those down um, and talk and school choice. I mean, those are all things that we say in our our educational Mm -hmm conversations Mm -hmm. that I think it's really important for our students and our parents and other community members um, to really get a good understanding of what we're trying to describe when we're talking about those things um, so that we have we develop like champions of education all over our city yeah but without understanding what we mean when we say these are the conversations we're having and this is what it's about if you don't understand if you don't even have that understanding, you, right. you don't have the framework or the context, then you can't really be a champion of that cause. 
True. I also think people should push back a little bit against the jargon because my grandmother used to always say, never use a $1 word when a 25 cent word will do. <laughs> but like, I do feel like, um, you know, it, we should, I was a journalist too, where you want to explain things in a way people will understand. And I do feel like some of these conversations should be happening more broadly and they shouldn't be happening like in these little enclaves of people who are education reformers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think the issue of student ownership, it's one of the most important to me, maybe the most important. I feel like that's a really easy one to wrap your arms around because at its core, it's really just about listening to young people, which is something we don't do very well, not just in education, but I think sort of in our country, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you've seen sort of this uh, youth activism around civic engagement recently, which is so powerful. But I think it's important for us to lift up the voices of young people in all kinds of ways. And so what does that look like in a school setting? Well, it looks like, you know, the people who are making decisions about kids um, talking to them more transparently and and authentically listening to them. But we've also been having a lot of internal conversations and casts about what does it mean to have like student-led learning. So I'm making as many decisions as possible about what I want to learn. And I think that you might default to sort of like that's choosing my electives. And certainly there's... Which is exactly what was going through my head right now. Yeah. You read my mind. Yeah. So, I mean, there's certainly that. I mean, they're choosing their path and all that. And some of them are designing Mm -hmm. it in very creative ways. But I think it's like in every class, like, so you're working on projects, but but the students are choosing the projects, right? Like the industry input is there. But it, there has to be a lot of student choice built into that. And then we're really trying to push the envelope on this idea of personalized learning, which is another buzzword, but it's about like, um, how can we create as many, I like to think of learning as like elastic, so you create opportunities for young people that have a whole wide range of what they can do, and they can push themselves as hard as they want. And um, how can you build as much possible choice into that, you know, so... I think really stretching our understanding of what it is to give students an opportunity. I'm working on a project that's not with CAST, but it's called Speak Up, Speak Out. And it's uh, we're doing a civics fair in San Antonio, and um, young a bunch of schools are participating, and basically young people identify a problem in their community they want to solve, and they work in teams to mm-hmm. research it, and then come up with a solution, and then they compete in front of like local elected officials and other people to see um, what the best ideas are. So, I mean, to me, that's about elevating youth voice, giving them a say in their community, right. et cetera. So those are some of the ways I think we can do it. I mean, I think also just having this continuous effort to to check in and say mm-hmm. how we doing you know <laughs> like yes. um, yeah are we doing yeah. you know are you happy like right. what would make you happier and um both of our campuses also have um a lot of student clubs which mm-hmm. i find really interesting and so like cast um, i love that this so the students if they can if there are five students they can have a club that want oh, to do something. Cool. Yeah. And so one of the um, the most popular clubs over at CASTEM is the Unplugged Club, which I find super fascinating. Interesting. Because both of our campuses are really technology rich. And so they said, we want to protect a time when we put our phones away, we put our devices away, and we go retro and we play board games, we do Dungeons and Dragons, and that's relaxing to us. Wow. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. That is really cool. That is really cool. Well, because, you know, you hear so much about screen time and so yeah. much about addiction to yeah. your screen. And I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that students are wanting to unplug sometimes. Yeah. And if you don't ask them. Right. Then you make the wrong assumption. Right. And you stay plugged in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, too, while you were talking, that my sister-in-law always tells me when her, when someone asks her, her son, what do you want to be when you grow up? She's told him to tell them, I don't know it. It doesn't exist yet. And I think that isn't that yeah. kind of the world we're living in, where Absolutely. every day different jobs are being created. That's right. And how could we prep our students for one type of job, type of job yeah. when really, truly the world changes at exponential rates? Right. 10 years ago looks so different than it does today. Yes. My high school experience is nothing like That's right. what my students' high school, my kids are experiencing in right. high school. Right. So it makes sense to me 
to tell them, I don't know, it doesn't exist yet, and then to prep them to go find the problem they really want to solve. Right, right. right. Yes, and it's interesting, you know, um, when we first started bringing in industry to help us design, we thought that they were going to be real focused on, okay, well, they need to learn this computer programming language or whatever, and they do care about that, but they over and over they were like we need kids to be able to work together we need them to be able to communicate in writing in an email that isn't embarrassing you know (laughs) we need them to like um to be able to give a public presentation like this is our technology partner so they were not saying like we need red hat certified students i mean they did say that but they 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 were like we need well-rounded kids we need people who are going into tech to understand that it's a really sedentary field so how do you incorporate motion into your day so like stuff like that you know we aren't always narrowly thinking about when we're doing curriculum so so different than what traditional that i feel like the traditional perception of what school is. You go reading, writing, math. Right. Right? Right. Very basic. Right. Teach reading, you teach writing, you teach math. Um, You don't necessarily think that teaching is about teaching someone to be a critical thinker and a problem solver uh, and to generalize those skills over every content all the time. Yes. And to think through what doesn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. That's not the general perception of the work that we do and that goes back to the beginning of our conversation where I think we've lost touch with what a teacher's job really is yeah and what it looks like and why it's so cool right yes which is not to say that reading and math and writing are not important of course yeah but you know it is it is about thinking about this whole child and I hope that we're finally at a sort of a pendulum swing you know so we've had such a focus in the last I don't know 20 years on standardized testing right which is like basically testing content yes and, you know, that is not what ultimately makes you successful as an adult. Like, no. how many of us remember the content that we were taught at whatever point in our education system? But can we, you know, can we synthesize information? Can we analyze it? Can we pull out the salient points? Can we share it in a, in a way that others can understand? Do we understand the concept of storytelling? Right. And those are not showing up on standardized tests. And all tests. of that can be done through content. Yes. But it's not the end goal. No. The content, the content, remembering is, a specific name right. or date or place, isn't necessarily what's going to build a person who's successful. That's right. You, know, you got to grit, perseverance, mm-hmm. creativity. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that that um, make somebody yeah. last. Right. And it, yeah, right. I mean, I think the other piece that's really becoming clear in all the research, and um, we're certainly emphasizing in our schools, and I've learned in my career, going back full circle to my career, is. Um, Failure's not always a bad thing. That's where we no, learn the most. Yeah. You know what's funny is I tell my kids all the time too, when they bring me their report cards, and they, they this may be not so much now, but when they were younger, they really wanted to make like 100 mm-hmm. on everything. And I, I would tell them, if you bring me a report card full of 100s, I'm not, School's that does not make easy. me happy. Yeah. Like I, I would almost be more ecstatic if you brought me an, a 79 or an 82 and you were like, God, I worked so hard for that. You know, that's when real learning happens. But right. when you come in and you're, you're showing me straight hundreds, like they're not, that's not challenging you're not, you. You're not trying. Yeah. What did you learn? Right. I mean, you're basically doing all the things you already know how to do. So mm-hmm. that's problematic for me as a parent. I'm like, right. no, I want you to, I the struggle is where the learning is. That's so right. So I agree, failure is not always a bad thing. It's not. And our schools are using um, standards-based grading, which I know ALA is also doing. But this idea that you just keep doing it until you get it right, as opposed to like, I'm going to assess you in a point in time, and here's how you did or you didn't do. Right. And it's it's a big adjustment for students. And parents. And parents. But students in particular who are used to being like, you know, I have a one chance to do this assignment. This is the grade. It's it's fixed. So like trying to shift this whole mindset, you know, the growth mindset, but also to give you the idea that you learn from your mistakes. And I do think as adults, we eventually come to the realization that we learn the most through our mistakes. But I yeah. don't think we do a good job of imparting that with kids. The other thing about like what we tell our own kids, so I have the same feeling about grades. But I also, since my kids were little, was saying to the teachers, like, I... I have a lot of confidence in my kids' um, academics. That, like, you know, we do a lot of that stuff at home. I don't yeah. mean to be to be a snob or anything, but um, but 
I really want to make sure that they're learning to be like good citizens. Like yes. they're at school with you all day. So like right. I want to make sure like that the character stuff is happening, that they're learning empathy, that if they ever act unkindly to another child, that's the kind of stuff I want you to tell me about because yes. that's like really important. Like that's lifelong, you know, right. like if they get a C in a class, like, yeah. Maybe it was hard. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. It's fine. Yes. But like if they did something that, um, and they learned the wrong thing from it. Like they thought it was okay to bully somebody right. or that I'm not okay with. So, you know, hopefully we're returning to a time where we we see that those things are actually valued in the workplace. Like yes. somebody like that isn't actually, like I've had employer partners say to me, like what? the most important thing is some, can somebody fit into our culture? Absolutely. I mean, you don't, who wants to work with a brilliant asshole? Right. No one. <laughs> That's an easy answer. <laughs> No one. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Jean, it was so much fun talking yeah, to you. Yeah, likewise. I, I, when we talked the other day, I told you we could go on and on for I days. Know. I really do think that. <laughs> I Nobody really, would want to listen. No. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't even matter to me. I'm like, let's just keep talking. I, I could go on and on and on. Let's pick a new topic and let's do it again. <laughs> So thank you. Oh, yeah. And I hope, you, I hope we do get a chance to spend lots yeah, of time yeah. talking to each other. That'd be fun. Um, recorded or not. <laughs> <laughs> Better not recorded. <laughs> Next time you're going to join me in the wine. That's, that's right. For Next sure. time we'll do wine and no recording. <laughs> there you go. Even better. <laughs> Although that, one, that might <laughs> be slightly more interesting somehow. <laughs> anyway, thank you so, oh, yeah. so fun. much. I'm yeah. excited about the work you're doing with CAST. Yeah. I'm glad I get to watch from the sidelines. Yeah. I hope I can get you to my other schools. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually met the principal of Cast Med. Oh, good. I had met him before, and then I saw him at the core for STEM. Oh, were you there yesterday? I was there yesterday. Okay. And I put two and two together, and I was like, oh, I Isn't know he amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah, we have re- we have three amazing principals. So I did tell him I got his card with all his contact info. I'm like, great. You sit yeah, down. yeah. He'd be a great story because, yes. like I was mentioning, the guy from UT Health who, but Eddie, our principal, or I should call him Doctor Rodriguez because he does have a PhD. <laughs> but he um, he grew up in Edgewood, and he has never left his community, and he's been working in his community, and, and he had, so he has this real passion also for yeah. Kids and I love color. Him. He's you know, fun. He's, he's hilarious. So funny. He's hilarious. He's, well, and he's super passionate. So yes. you just give him one minute, and you are going to feel. <laughs> you're going to feel the intensity of his passion. I know it's great. <laughs> it is great. It's really great. So yes, I told him we are, we'll have to sit down. Yeah, and you talk. definitely should. He's uh-huh. a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Thank well, you. Well, thank again. you. Okay. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.